From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, the case for intracameral antibiotics, part one. Our infection rate by mid to late 2007 was significantly higher than it had been in years past. First this. This year's ASCRS annual symposium was great. I learned a lot that I'm applying to my practice right now. If I have any complaint, it's that I couldn't get to all the sessions I wanted to because some of them overlapped. That's why I'm so excited about the new ASCRS Media Center. More than 1,300 sessions from that meeting are now available through this great new resource. See what you missed or revisit the most interesting sessions. The Media Center is free to all meeting attendees. Stay tuned after the podcast for more information. If I were to tell you, as I'm about to do, that there is a simple maneuver you can perform during cataract surgery that can both decrease the risk of endophthalmitis and increase patient compliance, would you perform it? Of course you wouldn't. You'd say, I want evidence. Well, what if I were to add that there is a significant ESCRS study demonstrating the efficacy of this maneuver. What would you say then? You might say, fine, but that's a European study. What about a good old American study? As it happens, I've got you there. Dr. Neil Shorstein has just published results of an investigation on administration of antibiotics intracamerally during cataract extraction with excellent safety and impressive results. My conversation with Dr. Shorstein was lengthy and will be presented in two parts. We'll hear part one of my conversation with Dr. Shorstein today. We'll hear the conclusion in the next podcast. Neil, how common is endophthalmitis after cataract extraction? Endophthalmitis generally occurs, uh, depending upon the report that you read, somewhere between 1 in 500, 1 in 800, 1 in 1,000, 1 in 2,000 cases. It really depends upon uh, the decade that you're looking at and the country that you're looking at. Here in the U.S., our endophthalmitis rate typically has been around 1 in 800 in the mid to late 90s, and there was a rise that was sort of uh, reported on in the late 90s and early 2000s, and it was thought that perhaps that may be due to wide adoption of the clear cornea uh, technique. And just recently, there was a report that showed that uh, for Medicare patients throughout the country, the rates have come back down to around a little less than one in a thousand, so one in 800, one in 900 cases or so. What perioperative steps have been shown to decrease the endophthalmitis risk? There was a large study by Mark Speaker and others uh, some years ago, and it showed that the use of uh, povidine iodine solution for a skin, a skin prep and when adding it into the eye itself uh, was shown in a prospective study, and it was a large study, to reduce the incidence of endophthalmitis. So that's, that's been pretty, it seems like that's been pretty widely adopted uh, in America, is the use of betadine uh, for preoperative skin prep. Other than that, there really is only one other study, and we'll, 
I'm sure we'll talk about that in a minute. That's the ESCRA study that's shown in a large randomized prospective study um, of an intervention that has reduced the risk of endophthalmitis. There are other studies that um, have looked at wound incisions, and it's felt that the the type of uh, incision that's made should be, particularly in clear cornea, should be a longer incision, uh, around one and a half, say two millimeters long, and uh, that it was felt that this uh, was protective in uh, re- reducing the risk of wound leak after surgery. It was shown that, for example, India ink for ex- that was placed in a cadaver eye was less prone to leak um, uh, from the wound if the wound pressure was slightly higher, or the eye pressure rather was slightly higher, and again, the, the wound incision was slightly longer rather than a, a wide, uh, short incision a somewhat longer incision was was shown to be a little stronger. We're going to be talking about the ESCRS study. Can I get you to describe that? Sure. Uh, This was a very large, uh, randomized, prospective, masked uh, trial that was uh, devised in Europe. uh, And there were preliminary reports uh, that came out in 2006, and the final report came out in 2007. This was really the first and only large randomized uh, controlled trial that looked at uh, antibiotic use and the prevention uh, of endophthalmitis. In other words, what, what kind of antibiotics could reduce the risk of endophthalmitis? And they were divided into four groups. Uh, two groups uh, received intracameral cefuroxime. And that's cefuroxime that's injected into the anterior chamber at the end of surgery. And two groups did not. And in addition, that was split a slightly different way into two different groups. Two groups received levofloxacin drops before surgery, and two groups did not. All groups, though, did receive levofloxacin drops after surgery. And what they found was that there was a marked difference and that is a marked reduction of endophthalmitis in the two groups that received intracameral antibiotics. So much so, in fact, that they stopped the trial early after only about 16 to 17,000 patients. They had planned to to enroll uh, about 35,000. But there was such a marked difference that they felt it was the ethical thing to do is to... uh, show, you know, write up those results and report uh, and show that the there was a huge difference in using intracameral antibiotics. Now, it also, when they analyzed whether the groups that did or didn't receive preoperative levofloxacin drops, uh, if there was any difference in those two groups, uh, there was no statistical difference in those two groups. And so they concluded, uh, and that's Peter Berry and, and David Seal and, and others, uh, showed that uh, uh, there was no difference in using preoperative levofloxacin drops or not. It didn't really say anything about uh, whether postoperative antibiotic drops uh, were useful or not. Um, and that's a little bit where our study comes in a bit. But I also should mention that uh, in Sweden, they've been using intracameral cefuroxime for many years now. 
And in addition, for many years, uh, most, nearly all of the physicians uh, that are in the, the uh, studies that have been reported out of Sweden do not use any antibiotics before or after surgery. The only antibiotic that they use is intracameral cefuroxime. And they've been demonstrating for years now a, a quite low endophthalmitis rate, about one in 2,000 or so, which is pretty low. Neil, why were the recommendations of the ECRS study not adopted in the U.S.? Well, that's a very good question. Uh, David Chang and, and um, a host of other prominent ophthalmologists in this country did a survey and reported those results in 2007 in the Journal of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. And what they found is the majority of respondents, and these are ophthalmologists uh, practicing in this country, in the United States, uh, said that they, they weren't totally convinced by the Escheris results, that they felt that there was more study that was needed before uh, that would affect their practice patterns. And that was about 90% of the respondents felt that further study was needed. Um, 45% of the respondents were concerned about risks to the eye from dilutional errors uh, or sterility issues. And about 10% were concerned about the cost. What question did your study seek to answer? Well, I should say that I never really intended... Uh, on a study when we first started out with our, um, our practice change back in 2007, the study sort of evolved. I happened to be doing yoga one day, and I guess my mind was pretty relaxed, and the thought just came to me, hey, we, we have some interesting findings here. Why don't, why don't we report this? And so that's how the study came out. Um, the practice change uh, occurred back in 2007, because we noticed during that year, and when I say we, I, I mean our, our depart, my department, my fellow uh, ophthalmologists, and also um, our quality department and our infection control department, uh, we all noticed that in 2007, our infection rate uh, by mid to late 2007 was significantly higher than it had been in years past. In years past, it ran around between one and 800 one in a thousand or so. And by late 2007, uh, we noticed it was about one in 300, uh, a striking difference. And so uh, I work at, with Kaiser Permanente. We, we have uh, at our disposal some experts in infection control who came in and reviewed all the processes in our uh, operating rooms. And after uh, many hours of... Uh, of talking to people, of interviews, of observing the practices, that you really weren't able to come up with any one particular uh, cause or any trend that they could discern from the cases that we had had that year. And I looked at the, uh, the cases from a, a surgical standpoint, from an ophthalmologist standpoint, and there were also no trends that I could identify either between the surgeons that were involved or any of the uh, practices or techniques that they had used and documented in the medical record. So it was about that time that uh, the, the final report of the ESCRS study was out, and I looked at it and thought, well, hey, this is, this is very interesting. Our endophthalmitis rate happens to be very similar 
to the baseline rate reported in the ESCRA study. Why don't we adopt uh, intracameral antibiotics? And at this point, I think we were all willing to try just about anything that made sense for, the, for our patients to reduce the infection risk. I mean, endophthalmitis, mind you, is a, very, is a relatively rare uh, occurrence, but it can be devastating and there can be a number of patients who can lose all significant vision. And so we looked at the ESCRA study. It was a good study. It was uh, rigorously applied. It was masked to the patients and it was randomized. It had all the elements that one could hope for in evidence-based medicine. So it seems silly not to, not to use the results of the study. So in September of 2007, all of the members of the department, and there were 15 of us, adopted uh, cefuroxine in the same manner as was performed in the ESCRA study uh, and had been entertained by this, the Swedes. And we started uh, injecting all of our patients who were not allergic to penicillin and in an uncomplicated surgery. In other words, there was no posterior capsular rupture because we weren't sure at that time how safe in our own mind cefuroxine would be to the retina in the case of posterior capsular rupture. And so most of our patients received an intracameral injection. And then in 2008 and 2009, as we were tracking very closely the number of infections, we saw a drop back to around the baseline that we had had in years prior, um, which was great. Uh, we were very pleased that the high infection rate that we noted in 2007 had dropped. And then towards the mid to late uh, 2009, I looked at the cases in 2008 and 2009 and noticed that two-thirds th two of the endophthalmitis cases were patients who did not receive intracameral cefuroxine. And that was because either they were penicillin allergic or in a couple of cases they had a complication of posterior capsule rupture. So our department uh, had a huddle and uh, we looked at the literature again and we noted that in the intervening time between the ESCRA study, there had been several studies uh, published uh, in this country using moxifloxacin as an agent uh, for intracameral injection at the end of cataract surgery. And there were a number of studies by that time looking at the safety uh, to the retina and to the corneal endothelium of moxifloxacin. And based on those studies, uh, we selected moxifloxacin as a secondary agent to be used in patients who are penicillin allergic. And then to even go one step further, we decided in conjunction with our retina specialist to use his vancomycin routinely when he treats endophthalmitis is that that would be a good third-line agent in the event that patients were allergic to both penicillin or cephalosporin and moxifloxacin. So we, we thought we'd had a all of our bases covered with those three agents. Cefuroxime is a first line, moxie is a second line, and vancomycin is a third line. Finally, we looked at the literature, um, as I mentioned, for moxie, but also for cefuroxime and, and uh, vancomycin as well, and we found that at the concentrations that we were going to use them in, uh, there had been studies that were now out showing the safety of each of those three agents to the retina in particular, in the case of posterior capsular rupture. So now we decided to use the agents in the protocol that I just mentioned, but in 100% of patients, 
whether it's complicated or not, uh, so that all patients would receive an intracameral antibiotic. And I spoke with the uh, staff in the uh, operating rooms and, and la laid out the plan and the agreement that our department had agreed to and uh, asked that the staff remind any physician while we were instituting this that this was our new protocol and that 100% of patients uh, were to be injected. And really there were no reports after that of any patients not receiving the injection. So we feel very confident uh, that from 2010 through 2011 and, and on, 100% uh, of our patients were receiving intracameral antibiotics. So then fast forward to uh, 2012 in my yoga class, and uh, it, was, it was sort of an epiphany. It was, you know, uh, 2000 and 2000, 2010 and 2011, there was just one infection those two years. And so far in 2012, there were no infections. And uh, I need to take a look at this. So uh, I happened to meet uh, one of my co-authors at a, at a function, and we started talking about uh, our results. And uh, he is Kevin Winthrop from uh, Oregon Health Sciences Center. And, uh, and he also happened to know uh, a researcher at my home institution at Kaiser Permanente, and he actually put me in touch with Lisa Harrington, who's uh, a PhD in our division of research. And the three of us spent time uh, really over the next year looking at the data and uh, trying to make a compelling story out of what uh, we had devised as a department and what we instituted, and hopefully a story that we could spread the good news to people um, in the hopes that we can uh, help other surgeons and patients undergo cataract surgery in a safer way. And so when you look back at our 2010 and 2011 endothermitis rates, it's 1 in 7,000, which is very, very low. Um, and it's remarkable. I, so I think we feel very confident that using intracameral antibiotics uh, of some sort, and we chose cefuroxy, moxifloxacin, and vancomycin because they've been studied and they have safety and efficacy studies um, in the literature. We feel very confident that that's the right thing to do for our patients 100% of the time. We'll end today's podcast here and pick up where we left off next time. Neil Shorstein comes to us from the Department of Ophthalmology at Kaiser Permanente in Walnut Creek, California. His paper decreased postoperative endophthalmitis rate after institution of intracameral antibiotics in a Northern California eye department appears in the January 2013 issue of the Journal of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Here's some additional information about the new ASCRS Media Center. Almost all of the 2012 ASCRS ASOA meeting was audio and video recorded, and there are now more than 1,300 sessions featuring almost 1,000 speakers available online. You can view the general sessions, ASCRS paper sessions, symposia, films and posters, plus select courses and ASOA sessions on business management. It's essentially the entire meeting, anytime you want, 
and it's all available through the new ASCRS Media Center. If you attended the meeting, your Media Center access is free. If you're a current ASCRS or ASOA member but didn't attend, you can still see everything that you missed for the member price of $199. If you're not an ASCRS member, you can still purchase the Media Center, or better yet, join us and get the lower member price. To view the 2012 meeting through the Media Center, visit the ASCRS website at www.ascrs.org. If you're already a member, log in first and then click the Media Center link. If you're a guest, just click the Media Center link at the top of the page. From there, you can purchase the Chicago 2012 package, or better yet, join the ASCRS and receive the discounted member price. Ask questions of Dr. Shorstein or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at jyoungmd at gmail.com. As seen from here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.